Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations, presented as always by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. Today I'm going to be speaking with E.R. Bills, who is the author of Texas Oblivion. On February 2nd, 1963, a tanker with 39 men aboard departed Beaumont and never returned. In the mid-spring of 1882, Billy the Kid's friend, foe, and equal escaped Huntsville Penitentiary and vanished. On December 9, 1961, a young boy in Wichita Falls disappeared without a trace. On November 18, 1936, a father and son were swallowed by a walled kingdom. On no December 23, 1974, three girls went to a Fort Worth mall and were never seen or heard from again. This collection explores 20 baffling disappearances that investigators have studied for decades to no avail. Homicide, patricide, filicide, genocide, devil worship, the devil's triangle, the devil's river, the assassination of JFK, UFO abductions, legal limbo, literal limbo, oblivion. This book has it all. Award-winning author E.R. Bills drags the facts of these mystifying cases back from the void. E.R., thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, Johnny. All right, so the book starts off with an interesting story that takes us to the seas, but I want to focus first on and commend you because you, like a lot of our History Press authors, like to do what I call spider webbing. That's where I take something and tie it to something else so I can remember things. And you also, right. in a way, tie it to other cool things in history that way. Um, but what you did is you bring back a Wild West figure to our memory, Jesse Evans. Um, yes. Let's talk a little bit about his life and his acquaintances and maybe what happened to him real quick. Well, you know, it's obviously easier to uh, sell books when you talk about folks that are, you know, involved in larger historical dramas and uh, settings. And so Jesse Evans was a was an outlaw from Texas who wound up out in New Mexico and and was doing, you know, different things. Rob, he worked on ranches first, um, but he started being involved in some criminal, you know, activities. And he was kind of an established guy by the time someone who became more famous, and that's Billy Kidd, showed up. And so Jesse Evans was kind of a mentor to to Billy the Kid. And eventually they went their own separate separate ways and and uh actually almost clashed a few times, but but remained, you know, that being said, remained friends. And and so later Jesse was, you know, corralled by a group of Texas Rangers and uh sent to Huntsville prison and he actually sent a note to Billy, Billy, the kid asking him to come help break him out while, while the, while he was being uh, held in West Texas. And uh, it, it's just a crazy, fascinating chapter. You hear, you know, the name Billy, the kid, you see it everywhere in, in, in this type, type of history and in these type of discussions, but, but Jesse Evans was his mentor and his, his equal in many ways. And they remain close and, and the reason it appears in Texas Oblivion is because uh, Billy didn't show up, um, and uh, he was taken to Huntsville Prison, but he escaped in 19, or sorry, eight, gosh, in 1882, the spring of 1882, I think, and he was never heard or seen from again. So I just thought it was fascinating because I'd never heard uh, Jesse Evans's name. You know, all you hear about is Billy the Kid. And the neat thing is. Jesse Evans, I mean, if you think about all the outlaws who tried to go straight 
I mean, let's even go back to 1719 with the Tide of Charleston here. Blackbeard the pirate tried to go straight, couldn't go straight. Yeah. So, I mean, just throughout history, all these outlaws, highwaymen, what have you, he could do it. And you talk about, too, about how there is the, at the end of the chapter, someone who claimed that his uncle was Jesse and didn't venture outside because all these people that he had known in his in his past life were gone and he was yeah, afraid of that gone. happening to him yep most of them you know uh got the wrong end of a bullet or, or died at the end of a rope i mean and uh but he wound up in prison and escaped and i guess he was smart enough to to lay low you know they had, there were legends he disappeared in mexico you know all the all the the myth and lore about the, the American West and the outlaws, you know, even watching Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, you read his story and you think he was one of those guys. How yeah. come I've never heard of him? Uh, so it's, it is fascinating. You're right. I wonder if it, he would have went out in a, you know, blaze of bullets or got shot well, by someone who was have. his last. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if he, if he was shot in the back by somebody who was, you know, used to ride with him, you know, a la Robert Ford and Jesse James or, you know, gunned down by somebody else. He was, you know, an acquaintance right. of his, like Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. You know, you wonder if, like, he would have been better known if he would have died Yeah, that he might have been, yeah, he might have been a bigger legend if he had been. Well, you know, it's like, it's like the argument about James Dean and Marlon Brando. James Dean died, you know, really young and became the idol. Marlon Brando was really the real deal, but he lived to be old and fat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> most people. Unpopular opinion, and not that James Dean wasn't that big of a great of an actor to me. <laughs> I just no, he was he wasn't Marlon Brando for yeah. sure. <laughs> but and he was no better. He was no prettier. I mean, if you're in terms of aesthetics, you know what they used to call Brando heaven and the t-shirt. I mean, he was James Dean's idol. But you know, again, you know, uh, there was a tragedy. You know, he he died in a car crash, and you know that that's uh that's not uncommon. And uh, I mean. For people like that to get for the legend to grow and and uh, it to fascinate people you know dying young you know the promise extinguished all that all those cliches well brando lived it out and you know in some ways i feel for him because you know he faced he faced uh tribulations of his own as he aged but but anyway yeah. this jesse evans <laughs> guy you know what you know what is that that silly line from i don't know where it's from seems like it's from True romance that you know the 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 screenplay I guess Tarant- Quentin Tarantino wrote it, and, uh, and Val Kilmer's playing Elvis back behind. Uh, yeah, damn it, can't remember uh, his name now, but the actor uh, Clarence plays Cla- Clarence Worthy or something. Anyway, he says, you know, die young and leave a good corpse. I want to die young and leave a good corpse oh. or something like that. You know, <laughs> it, you know it is you know it is a thing you know people are fascinated by. But anyway. Jesse Williams, it's unclear what happened after he escaped, but he escaped and he he achieved what the other folks weren't able to. And yes, I think that has something to do with why we we haven't heard of him today. He disappeared, you know, mystery. You know, it was interesting to dig dig that up and find that. I've never seen him written about, hardly. Well, you um, brought him back into our collective memory now. Good job. Well, you know, it... Uh, it's fascinating stuff. It's it, it writes itself, you know. The only thing, the most interesting thing to me about that story involved the title, 
you know, uh, you know, there was a book in 1908 or 1910. I, I can't remember every story, Johnny, but um, that said Billy the Kid and Jesse Evans were of like kidney. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought of like kidney. I, I've never heard that. I looked yeah, it I up. I didn't either a, until you said that, until you had yeah, that title. I'll, on the internet machine, I was looking up of like kidney. I couldn't find it. And so I even reached out. You know, Joe Lansdale is a big writer here in Texas. You know, the guy behind the Half and Leonard series on Sundance and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, Bubba Ho- the Bubba Hotep movie, this, that, and the other. Oh, man, he, I love Bubba Hotep. Yeah, he's a huge <laughs> figure here, and he and I have gotten to be friends. And uh, I asked him about it. I was like, have you ever heard that? And he goes, no. <laughs> so so, so really digging into that was fascinating. Um, but anyway, so that's one example of, uh, you know, a fascinating piece of forgotten lore. You know, another one was uh, – you know, and Halloween's coming up, so I'll, I'll mention this. Um, there was a case out in East Texas in the Gilmer area. There was this young lady who disappeared, and uh, and the investigation into her disappearance became a complete fiasco that that centered around devil worship of all things. And uh, oh, is this Virginia Carpenter? No, this is oh. Kelly Wilson, Kelly okay. Ray Wilson. Yeah, she disappeared. In like 19, early 1992, and uh, I mean, without a trace. And there were a few suspects and people the cops, you know, suspected, you know, or were suspicious of, but they got nowhere with the investigation. And then uh, the state wanted to get involved and have, you know, help with the investigation. But the guy who, the guy who was the DA at that time, he had actually, he'd actually done some legal work for one of the suspects. And so the state sent in this lawyer from Galveston. And uh, I think he may have listened to the wrong people, but in short order, uh, they decided that, you know, at that time, you know, in American culture, devil worship was a concern across the country. There were some incidents in the news and, you know, this is uh, (laughs) just a strange period of a lot of suspicious activity and, and uh, law enforcement agencies around the country were being informed that they should bring on uh, occult specialists to help deal with <laughs> with this burgeoning, you know, uh, a- epidemic, right? A satanic well, panic. Guy, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this guy comes into town. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he comes into town. This 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 investigator, this this DA, he comes in town. This new guy. And starts investigating, and people around him are whispering in his ear, you know, that this family's this and this family's that. And before long, they decide that uh, they they start interrogating some kids at a daycare, <laughs> and and, uh, and and leading them, leading the witnesses, so to speak. And they decide that there's a a devil worshiping a Satan cult, satanic cult there, that's killing people based on the testimony of a toddler. Well, maybe not taller, maybe a 10 year old. Um, and then another woman. And uh, so they. Hold on one second. Hold on. Sorry about that. Somebody's right. calling in. So they they decide there's a satanic cult and they <laughs> arrest several people around town from from basically one one or two families. And then they they also indict the investigating detective sergeant detective. You know, and they 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 go after them and then they go out and do investigations at the people's house and they find nothing. They find nothing, nothing, you know, to 
to suggest that's what's exactly going on. It's a modern-day witch hunt. It's exactly what happened in Salem. Yes, it is. It, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it, it's just a sort of a, you know, an unimaginable fiasco is what it is. And it just tore that town apart. And uh, in the end, it wasn't quite the fiasco or the or the or the stupefying, you know, you know, display of incompetence that it could have been. Because when 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 investigations and all the stuff that was wrong, you know, were taking place, it was during the OJ trial. <laughs> so the whole country was fixated on the OJ trial. Well, this young woman, she didn't receive justice. She didn't receive proper investigation. You know, that her death, you know, is still a mystery. She's never been found and nothing was done about it. And mainly because of people's ignorance and superstition. And the whole town doesn't have a shadow over it, again, in my opinion, because the OJ trial, because it was never solved. And it, it's that is criminal in and of itself. In my opinion, and uh, but anyway, yeah, devil Jeez. worship. Um, but there, there are other cases like that out in out in West Texas in El Paso. A prominent, uh, you know, couple ran a photo a photo lab. You know, uh, did real well. You know, they disappeared in like '56. The Pattersons, William and Margaret Patterson, they disappear out there, and. Uh, and the investigation was another, another, you know, sham, you know, uh, the people they were in partnerships with apparently, you know, you know, were involved in their disappearance or it suggested that they may have been involved. So nobody would cooperate with authorities and the investigation went nowhere. And in the end, they suspected people in the community, you know, believe that they might have been abducted by UFOs you know, or that they were spies for the Russians because there's a big military base out there. You know, I mean, stuff like this just runs the gamut. I mean, ER, to be fair, uh, to quote Letterkenny, one of my favorite shows, um, when you have a military base nearby, anything weird that happens, people tend to blame on the military base a lot. I've noticed. Yeah, yeah, sure. Any kind of weird noises, it's the military base. Any kind of weird lights, it's the military base. <laughs> oh, and this was ready-made, ready-made. You know, they were able to say, well, they they must have been involved in making taking photos of the base. And, you know, they were ru- working for the Russians, and they were they just, dis- you know, they were disappeared um, by the Russians. But I really don't, I don't think they were abducted by UFOs, and I'm not really sure that they were Russian spies. I think greed was involved. Um, and, uh, I think someone killed them and, and disposed of them. It seems sometimes it's just like, some, there's nothing exciting happening in some of these places. And even though there's a, there's a simplest explanation, people want yeah. to jump to the most fantastical explanation just to have a better story. Or, or there's, you know, yes, make it a broader conspiracy, all that. And another example of that, another perfect, I'm glad you brought that up. Another perfect example of that is a chapter in the book called Wooly Bully. Yes, it's, it's basically about the Icebox murders in Houston. There, and that's and, one uh, of my favorite ones. I have that on here. Yeah, is that not crazy? I mean, what were your impressions? <laughs> I'm like, well, JFK is involved in here. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, it's it just it just it just got crazier and crazier. So that story, if I have a minute, I'll, I'll yeah, because let's say do it, please. It. Yes. Okay, so so there was this uh, 
there was this nephew of these these two older folks that couldn't reach him apparently, and they he goes by their house and knocks on their door, and nobody can uh, nobody can raise him. Because so I got contacts, questions too, I got to ask about this. So yeah, please do go keep going. Sorry. Okay, no problem. So he goes by there and he can't find him. So he calls the Houston Police Department and asks them to do a welfare check because nobody's there, right? So, um, so, so the police go out there and they can't get in the front door. They knock on the door, bang on the door, nothing. I think it's in the Montrose area of, Re- of Houston, or real close. But anyway, so. So they go around back and they can see through the windows that the back door's got flower pots stacked up against it. It doesn't seem like it's locked or it wasn't locked. So they basically force it open, push the flower pots over, and then they they go and they do a check. They yell, you know, hey, is anybody here? All this stuff, no response. So the one officer goes upstairs and the other officer stays downstairs and they just give it a once over, going through and and looking to see if, you know, if something you know, have they passed away? You know, you know, see if they can find any clues. So the one officer that stays downstairs, he thinks he looks at the refrigerator and he just decides to open it on a whim. And he looks it over and he's like, wow, they got all this meat stored in here. And I don't know what's happened to them, but I hope it doesn't spoil before they get back. And he turns around and he goes to close the door and he sees a pair of eyes staring at him. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> From the, from the vegetable crisper. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, he, he, he looks a little closer, and then there's another pair of missing eyes ahead with the eyes missing, staring from the crisper below it. So he slams the door shut, and uh, and they call in, you know, folks that aren't just welfare check, you know, officers. They call in investigators, you know, detectives. And so they, they go over this place, and they, they find that, the two old folks, you know, that live there, they've been cut up in little pieces and stuffed in this refrigerator. Now, I say that their their entrails and stuff were were flushed down, cut up and flushed down toilets, and they find them in a sewer drain like two blocks away. But yeah. the, the meat and yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> so, so they're like, whoa, you know, and so and what everybody comes to find out is they have a son named. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to clear my throat. Um, can I take a drink of water right fast? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, and while you're doing that, a... I'm just going to say, go ahead and take a drink of water, because I want to add in while you're doing that. Uh, when I was reading that and you talked about the police officer deciding on a whim to check that fridge, my yeah, mind automatically... Yeah, that's where my <laughs> mind automatically went. Mine like, nah, too. <laughs> he, was, he was probably a man of weight, kind of like myself. And he decided he was going to get uh, old Chubbs a little snack. That's what I thought he was going to do. You know what? It would it wouldn't be unheard of. <laughs> but I didn't want to muddy the water. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's going to see if there's a little sandwich. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought too. But but anyway, I try. Like I said, I didn't want to muddy the water. So, um, so Charles Frederick Rogers was this guy's name, and uh, his parents were dead in this refrigerator. And he had apparently had a strange career, been in the Navy, pretty smart guy, then I think got a degree in nuclear engineering or something crazy. And then he went to work for one of the oil companies in Alaska and South American places. And he was back living with his parents. In fact, he owned the house. And uh, and what the, the story that, that came to be told was he lived upstairs and he had very little contact with his parents except through notes that he passed under the door to him. 
He had a hot plate upstairs, everything he needed, and he kept to himself, and he only went out at night. So he was a strange, strange character. Um, and so the stories that sprung up around this double murder, the, the Icebox murders, you know, concerned this son. Now, the nephew who had called the welfare uh, department of the police, you know, the, the police department, said that, that uh, you know, Charles Rogers was a recluse you know, a sheepish recluse and, uh, and just, you know, didn't have much to do with anybody. Well, anyway, so these two old, older folks are dead. His parents, he owned the house, you know, the police assumed that he killed them. Um, and he may have, it's, it's, it's unclear. He certainly disappeared and was never seen or heard from again, but some folks looking at his background and the jumping around and the advanced degrees, he also had a pilot's license a whole sort of mythology sprung up around this, that he was actually one of the, the, the three strangers there at the grassy knoll, part of the Kennedy assassination. They, they associated to a lot of stuff that he was this CIA operative. And, and you know what? He may have been, I mean, there's, he definitely has a strange background and, and proclivities and habits, but you know, it Just may not have been. Just tying him in to that, that was, is crazy to me by saying that he's tied to that assassin. I mean, he could have been. It was a strange story already. Who knows? The world's so crazy. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he just, the, you know, and some people said, well, that's why he killed his parents. They find out, they found out he was involved in the Kennedy assassination. Which, he also kind of favors D.B. Cooper. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that one out there, too. Yeah, he, he favored, <laughs> you know, you could, you know, he he's a guy that could look like one of those strangers you know um uh, mysterious strange you know i don't know i don't have i know he 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 was uh, a very proficient guy in the military you know and and he was again and a really intelligent guy involved in in some things and learning things and and you know he's just one of those guys the lone gunman the kind of the kind of background you get on people like that they kind of resemble this guy i don't make, know that you can make the leap accurately and that's why I, I named the title Wooly Bully based on that old that, that old yeah. song, you know, from the periods because, you know, was he a sh sheepish, just shy guy that didn't want attention? Maybe he lost his cool and killed his parents and fled. Or was he something darker? You know, was he, you know, was he in the sea? I, I don't know. Who knows? Um, anyway, it's a fascinating story, and uh, it's interesting to explore. Later, some forensic accountants suggested that his parents were stealing money from him and selling properties that didn't belong to him that actually belong i mean to them that actually belonged to him and that's why he did it i i don't know i don't really have a horse in that race you know i don't know it really is to me unclear what exactly happened and who did it but the fact of the matter is this he disappeared and he was never seen or heard from again so that's why he, he makes the book and you so know strange. i talk about in the book yeah t so strange I talk about in the book how, you know, the, the subtitle, you know, Mysterious Disappearances, Escapes, and Cover-Ups. He may have been all three, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he may have been all three, or he may just have been uh, an escape. You know, he, you know, a disappearance and an escape. He may have killed his parents and escaped. You know, other cases, you know, people may have been killed and covered up. And in other cases, people just disappeared. <laughs> um but anyway, I run the gamut. He's one of the ones that I think may have made an escape, not just been disappeared. The trifecta. Yeah, but you you know, the, the Halloween theme, you know, um, the gruesomeness of, of what he did 
you know, sort of uh, approaches themes. When you go by people's houses and they have, you know, the 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 the, uh, the plastic figures and and the, the arms and the legs or the heads yeah. have plastic flesh on them. I mean, this is a Halloweenish kind of murder here. Um, and uh, you know, of course, the you know the um, I'm sorry, the, the UFO connection out to the, the Patterson disappearance in El Paso and then the devil worship and the Gilmer case. I mean, there's just a lot of stories, you know, that eventually, you know, a whole, you know, a whole mythology springs up around them. Another good example is the disappearance of the SS Marine sulfur queen. You know, they left oh, you know, Beaumont yeah. there and uh, it's one of the, you know, the actual, you know, chief hardcore stories, unexplained stories in any discussion of the, of the devil's triangle. Yeah. And that's you know, your the first Bermuda one in the book. It's right out of the gate. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Cause it's just fascinating. Another case, you know, the Halloween, you know, uh, theme. Another case is you mentioned it, the disappearance of Virginia Carpenter. I mean, for a while, you know, the police suggested that she was, a uh, a victim of the moonlight, you know, uh, phantom killer there out of Texarkana. You know, she disappeared and never turned back up. And so all these sort of, horror themes and, and, uh, you know, paranormal themes pop up in my book, you know, as part of the discussion, it's just the nature, as you said, sort of our culture and our fascination with, uh, with mysteries. And, uh, it's fun, you know, to sort of dig up and expand on sort of the, the, the foundation of these stories and dig up and, and again, dig up new ones. I mean, the Icebox murder, Icebox murders have been written about before, but the Patterson's, have have disappeared the story about the Pattersons and uh yeah it's, that's such uh, a good one too it is and and, uh, and then there's there's the other disappearances they all they're all fascinating in their way you know and, and one is uh, just like a you know a nor a guy going about his normal day which is kind of you know creepy on his own the uh, Milton Sims the the pilot yeah, a guy just doing his job. Just doing just his job. And his passenger, Michael Jackson, you know. It, you know. Yeah, yeah. The paid cash, yeah. name's Michael Jackson. And then, you know, he, uh, you know, they find his plane and they never find a body. And then that you find out, I mean, in the process of this research, you find out that so much, so many drugs and so much marijuana was coming across, you know, the coast of Texas at that time. And, you know, where there's, you know, demand, <laughs> it's got to be supplied. And, and then, you know, the law enforcement, I always, the thing I've always wondered is how law enforcement handle it. You know, they found some, you know, a skeleton, even before it was investigated, they said, well, that's not him. Couldn't be him. And I always thought, you know, the backroom deals, you know, Milton Sims, just some guy. And the backroom deals, if you wanted somebody to testify, to testify on a bigger level about something that was going on, what kind of deal would you make hmm. with somebody? Could he have been... The reason nothing was ever done, and this story has never been discussed since it's a couple, three stories back when it happened, is because some kind of deal was made and somebody got away with that, you know, flat, flat-footed cold, you know. Yeah. And I, I, it makes me wonder. It makes your blood just, boil, too, when you think about it, because they're like, yeah, just some guy. Yeah. he's not just some guy, it's his family and his no, friends, the people friends. cared about him. You know, he's Milton, no. he's like he's somebody that made somebody laugh that they share good times with. He's he's a tangible, he was a corporeal person that people cared yeah, about. Yeah, and and usually newspapers take that stuff and run with it. But they didn't with his case. And it it just dropped off the map. 
it was never seriously pursued as far as I could tell. You know, there was jurisdictional problem because they they couldn't figure out where he disappeared. You know, was he dropped over the ocean? They never found the body or they say they never found it or a body that was his. I don't know. All right. Well, we've been talking for about 53 minutes this time. And of course, we're if, you have a, anything, a part if you need two, anything, else, let me know, dude. <laughs> there's going to be a part two that we recorded earlier where we talked for 30 minutes. That's going to come out later in November, which is going to talk well, more just, in depth about the slogan. And, and <laughs> you just edited it. And if you need me to talk about something else, just call me, man. I don't care. I'm obviously I'm, I'm pretty, pretty engaged in this history and absolutely. And I can speak pretty, pretty seriously about it or, or, you know, more, <laughs> more lighter about it if I need to, but if you don't have enough, let me know. And I just appreciate you, you know, being interested enough to drop me a line. So thanks so much. Hey, thanks for being on ER. Thank you, sir. Thanks to you, the audience for listening. Texas Oblivion is now available wherever local books are sold and online at ArcadiaPublishing.com. If you have any questions for me or show suggestions, feel free to email me at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. As always, thanks to Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can find them online by searching for Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and I'll talk with you again soon.